Welcome to Walker Awards Podcast. My name is Rachel and this is the podcast where we step behind the veil to take a look at some long lost and little known spooky stories and urban legends. Listener discretion is advised during this podcast. We'll be covering an event which many people will remember or have been affected by. If you feel like us discussing September the 11th 2001 will affect you, please stop listening now. Greenwich Street, New York was once one of the most famous dresses in America, if not the whole planet. Greenwich Street is a four-mile-long north-to-south street located on Manhattan Island. Earliest records date back to the 1790s. These days, the street is a mix of the four-story townhouses that people associate with New York on the northern end of the street and skyscrapers in the southern end. From the mid-1970s, the most famous area of the street featured two towers. At 417 metres and 415 metres respectively, one World Trade Centre, a.k.a. the North Tower, listed its address as Liberty Street, while two World Trade Centre, a.k.a. the South Tower, listed its address as West Street. Located in the financial district, the Twin Towers were an iconic part of the New York skyline and featured in hundreds, if not thousands, of movies and TV shows. Groundbreaking for the construction of the World Trade Center began in August 1966. The first tenants moved into the North Tower in 1970 while it was still under construction, while the South Tower accepted its first occupants in January 1972. The ribbon-cutting ceremony for the complex took place in 1973. On an average day, approximately 50,000 people worked in the complex and an additional 140,000 passed through as visitors. Over the seven buildings that made up the World Trade Center complex, of which the Twin Towers were the centerpiece, there was 13.5 million square feet of office space. These seven buildings also had their own zip code, 10048. As well as a wealth of office space, the South Tower boasted an observation deck, while the North Tower had the windows on the World Restaurant on the 106th and 107th floors. Tenants in the North Tower included Cantor Fitzgerald, Marshall McLean Companies, Bank of America, Blue Star Line North America, Morgan Stanley, Boeing Aviation Technical Services and the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. Tenants in the South Tower included Showtime Pictures, Career Engine, December 1st Productions, Sun Microsystems, the New York Stock Exchange, Morgan Stanley, Atlantic Bank of New York, Guy Carpenter, Big A Travel Agency and New York Shipping Association. Tuesday, September the 11th, 2001 started beautifully. The skies were clear and despite a hurricane lingering off of the coast, it was an otherwise perfect end of summer day. At 7.59am, American Airlines Flight 11 was taking off from Boston Logan International Airport, bound for LAX. Fifteen minutes later, United Airlines Flight 175 took off from the same airport and was also making its way to the coast of the West Coast and Los Angeles. Washington Jules Airport saw American Airlines Flight 77 take off just a few minutes later. This plane was also headed for LAX. Just a few minutes after that, United Flight United Airlines Flight 93 took off from Newark bound for San Francisco. All seemed to be going well. People were arriving to work and enjoying the clear day. Views from the towers would have been beautiful and people were soaking up the last of the summer sun. At 8.46am the world changed forever. American Airlines Flight 11 crashed into the North Tower between the 93rd and 99th floors. At 9.03am United Airlines Flight 175 crashed into the South Tower between the 77th and 85th floors. At 9.37am, American Airlines Flight 77 crashed into the Pentagon. At 10.03am, United Airlines Flight 93 crashed into a field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, after the passengers revolted against the hijackers. They knew that they were going to die and so forced the plane into the ground, rather than see the aircraft hit another populated area. The four aircraft were either Boeing 767s or Boeing 757s. 
2,977 people lost their lives on September the 11th. 2,753 were killed in the World Trade Center and the surrounding area. 184 were killed at the Pentagon. 40 were killed in Pennsylvania. These numbers do not and will never include those who hijacked the four planes on that beautiful September morning. September the 11th, 2001 was the deadliest terror attack ever carried out. Stories of ghost, spirit and angel sightings started less than 12 hours after the towers had fallen. People saw cruel demon-like faces in the smoke and dust as the towers burned and finally gave way. Joe Laney, an NYPD officer, worked at Ground Zero for 12 hours a day for five months. His first paranormal encounter was on day one. His work hours were from 4am to 4pm. When he arrived on the scene at 4am on the morning of September 12th, he saw a man walking around in the middle of all the rubble and debris. Exiting his car, Joe decided to go over to the man and get a status report. But the second he got close enough to call out to him, the man disappeared into thin air. These experiences became the norm for Joe and everyone else on site. The stress of all that he was seeing and experienced caused Joe to have a heart attack which forced him to retire. However, several of the spirits that he had encountered at the World Trade Center site came home with him. Spirits walked through the rooms of his home, absorbing all of the light and electricity within them as they pass. He is frequently touched or tapped by unseen hands, and there are the constantly muffled voices of those that are still crying out for justice, or at the very least an explanation as to what has happened to them. And lastly, every clock in Joe's house is constantly stopping at 8.46am, which is the exact moment that the first tower was hit. Joe has a music room in his home, which he calls the drum room. He said the room became rife with paranormal activity. He'd walk in and there would be cold spots, the smell of scrap smoke and perfume, and his cell phone battery would instantly drain. Lights would flicker. So he began taking photos, and to his shock, the photos revealed apparitions in the form of foggy streaks of light, known as ectoplasm. The ectoplasm also spelled out his name. Another time, a crucifix appeared on his kitchen cabinets. The next time, the twin towers appeared in the same spot. He caught them both on film. Joe Laney is now known as the Ghost Cop and uses the knowledge that he's collected in his sixth sense to help others in their encounters with the paranormal. Cleanup of the Twin Towers site took nine months and ended in May 2002. Most of the rubble and debris were moved to the unfortunately named Fresh Kills Landfill site on Staten Island. There, the remains of the tower were sifted through to look for clues and tragically human remains. The cleanup process was heavily documented with both photographs and video footage being taken. There are several photographs which show dark shadows lingering in front of whatever part of the site was being documented. Others captured wisps of white light which moved in ways that couldn't be explained. Many of the spirits also came to the site where the rubble had been delivered. Frank Morrow was an NYPD officer that had been assigned to help and oversee this sifter project. Frank had so many encounters with the victims of the from 9-11 that he wrote his own book entitled From Landfill to Hallowed Ground. Among some of Frank's experiences were these two, of which were explained in the past. Frank, on several occasions, witnessed an African-American woman dressed in a Red Cross uniform. The lady appeared to be carrying a tray of sandwiches and cups of coffee. The apparition was strikingly vivid until she got near him, then she would fade away to nothing. Frank was not the only worker on the site to see the Red Cross woman. Several other volunteers reported witnessing her. And there was another example. Frank, along with many of others that worked on the side of the attack, as well as the Sifter project, reported seeing large black masses that slowly hovered over the rubble. Some people believed these black masses to be some kind of soul collector from the afterlife, a being that had appeared to guide those who had lost their lives to their eternal resting place.
Parts and fragments of bodies were found among the rubble that had been moved to Staten Island. Thanks to tireless work of volunteers, police and other agencies, 1,600 people were identified. Sadly, the remains of around 1,000 people were never found. At 54, 55 stories tall with over 500 guest rooms, the glass encased Millennium Downtown Hotel has been standing guard over the World Trade Center since 1992. The hotel is roughly 250 metres from where the towers once stood and had direct line of sight with them. Videos shot by a guest on September 11th, 2001 shows the damage that the hotel sustained during the attack. This video is available online and viewer discretion is advised when viewing it. Staff and guests initially sheltered in place before the building was evacuated. In the wake of 9-11, the hotel was closed for 18 months while it was refurbished. Reports from the hotel include strange sounds, disembodied voices and people who feel uncomfortable in rooms that overlook the old World Trade Center site. Some people have reported being unable to sleep in these rooms because they feel crowded in as though hundreds if not thousands of people are cramped into their room and trying to get their attention. Others have reported seeing shadows at the windows even though the room that they're in is many stories above street level. Some of those shadows appear to have taken on a human form. Even the new Freedom Tower isn't exempt from the strange activity. You have to remember that this was the site of the world's deadliest terror attack, one that happened so suddenly and so violently that it's no wonder that the souls of those who have passed it have been left behind and become attached to the area. At the new tower, people have reported hearing a mysterious hum or moan, which, while it may be a natural feature of the new building, sounds like voices trying to murmur to all who pass. Another story involves the area between the 93rd and 99th floors of the Freedom Tower. According to some sources, anyone who is on these floors at around 3am may witness the ghostly apparition of a plane appearing to fly into the building. There was more to Line 11 than just the Twin Towers. We often overlook both the Pentagon attack and the heroically down plane in Shanksville. Unsurprisingly, there is little to no information surrounding the Pentagon crash. Shanksville, however, has had paranormal reports, and much like the Twin Towers, these sightings started on the day of the crash. Shanksville, Pennsylvania is a borough in Somerset County, Pennsylvania. The 2020 census listed it with a population of 197 people. Shanksville is located 78 miles southeast of Pittsburgh and 226 miles west of Philadelphia. United Airlines Flight 93 came down about 1.75 miles north of the town. Flight 93 was a Boeing 757 which had pushed back from gate A17 at 8.01am and took off at 8.42am. A Boeing 757 can seat up to 182 passengers but on that day there were just 37 passengers and 7 crew. Four of those passengers were the hijackers. At 9.19am after flights 11 and 175 had hit the t Twin Towers, Ed Ballinger, the United Flight Dispatcher, began to set co send cockpit warnings to all United flights. This came via the Aircraft Communication Addressing and Reporting System, which is also known as ACARS. Flight 93 received their warning to be aware of cockpit intrusions at 9.23am. Five minutes later, at 9.28am, the cockpit of Flight 93 was breached by the hijackers. While the investigators can't pinpoint the exact time that the plane was hijacked, they pinned it at 9.28am due to the last routine communication between the ground and the plane being at 9.17am and the plane diving 685 feet less than 67, 60 seconds later. 
The only known witness to the actual crash and the last one to see United 93 Airborne was Stony Creek resident Nevin Lambert, who reported that he saw the plane upside down as it crashed to the ground in a 45 degree angle nosedive. Kelly Levenite, a local resident, was watching news of the attacks when she heard the plane. I heard the plane go over and I went out to the front door and I saw it going down. It was headed towards the school which panicked me because all of my three kids were there. Then you heard the explosion and felt the blast and saw the fire and smoke. Another witness, Eric Peterson, looked up when he heard the plane. It was low enough I thought you could probably count the rivets. You could see more of the roof of the plane than you could the belly. It was on its side. There was a great explosion and you could see the flames. It was a massive, massive explosion. Flames and then smoke and then a massive, massive mushroom cloud. At the time of the crash, the plane had between 21,000 and 26,000 litres of fuel remaining. Far-flung debris that made up a third of the aircraft, including the cockpit, continued into the woods, demolishing trees on 163 acres owned by the Lambert family and damaging the nearby residents of Barry Hoover. The rest of the aircraft buried itself in dirt that had been transported to the abandoned strip mine for reclamation efforts in the 1990s. The fuselage and wings shattered as they burrowed into the earth. One of the engines ultimately ended up in an a catchment pond just 2,000 feet away from the main impact site. Three hours after impact, an FBI agent by the name of Lily Lenardi was sent to the site in the capacity of liaison between the first responders and victims' families. Lily was used to gruesome scenes due to her scope of work, but when she arrived to the Flight 93 site, she said it was oddly different from the others she had worked on. The site was still, quiet even, and most bizarrely, there were no bodies scattered around. It was like the ground had opened up and swallowed the plane, and then Lily had a paranormal encounter that a few have never experienced. She, showed, she said she looked on as the smoke started to settle on the ground, and then from the ground rose angels, hundreds of them gathering to the left side of the site. Then a sudden brisk wind came from nowhere, distracting her and the two men that were walking with her. Their attention was grabbed as the wind seemingly intentionally flipped through the pages, barely singed book that abruptly stopped. Lily picked up the book to see that it was a Bible and the page it stopped on was Psalm 23. For those of you that don't know, Psalm 23 is more commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. Within 48 hours, the FBI and state police brought in a house trailer to be a command post and to store some of the evidence boxes. Eventually the crater was filled back in and local residents started referring to it as the mass grave. In order to protect the site, the Jonestown Rent-A-Cop company known as RAC was hired to patrol the area for 24 hours a day. One of the RAC security guards was assigned to duty at the crash site on November 9th, two months after 9-11. His name is Robert Wagstaff, 32 years old and a long-time Jonestown resident. He became so uneasy near the trailer that he did not want to go there alone. He and other guards heard voices and footsteps at the trailer, and once Robert even saw a ghost up near the main gate. This new development to the September 11th attack was the first reported locally in Johnstown on Fox TV 8, and we will hear firsthand from anchor and reporter Renee Cluck about her own first-hand experience with footsteps on the trailer stairs. But first, Robert describes some of the hauntings he has personally experienced during his security duty at the United 93 crash site. Me and another guard went into the trailer down by the crash site one day. We just got into the trailer. We were in there for only about two minutes and we heard someone knock on the door. And there was nobody around. Well, my partner went out and he searched the area and I stood in the doorway. 
Now, keep in mind, I'm only 5 foot 9 inches and I weigh about 220 pounds. So to get past me, it's kind of difficult to do. You know, especially in a trailer door. Anyway, he's looking around and he didn't see nobody and he came back in and we just kind of blew it off. Like maybe it was the wind or something, you know what I mean? So we go back into the trailer and we got our coffee and we went to sit back down to play some cards. We didn't have any chairs set up yet. Well, when we went to sit back down, one of the chairs was already set up and we didn't set it up. I don't know where the chair came from. I don't know who put it there. Jerry and me looked at each other like, what the heck? And then we kind of ignored it too, like maybe we're just imagining things. And we sat down and we got into the chairs and we started to play cards. We played two hands of cards and then we heard someone walking through the inside of the trailer. The next thing that we heard were mumbled voices on the outside of the trailer. We couldn't make out any words and it sounded like a group so we didn't know if they were male or female. Anyway, another time I was sitting in my car about 3am just resting and chilling and doing crossword puzzles. As I was sitting there, a male voice inside of my car says, So now what? Another morning at about 4am I seen this lady walking around in the dead of winter. It was full moon out, 4 o'clock in the morning. And I seen this woman as clear as day, like if you was to be looking at me dead in the face and you were standing in front of me. She had on like a blue baseball jersey. Okay, one of those buttoned down the front ones with a pair of blue jeans. She had medium length like light brown hair. She had glasses on. I mean, this lady was so clear I was getting ready to get out of my car and ask her why she was walking around there in the middle of night, dead of winter when it's snowing and why she didn't have a coat on. The first action for me to do being that I'm a security guard, was to take out my planner and write down everything that I'd seen. I wrote down the time, the description, how old she looked to me and the whole nine yards, how far she was away from the car and what direction she was coming from and how many steps I'd seen her take. I'd seen her take like seven steps and like I said, she was walking right towards me before she vanished into thin air. The overnight guards have heard people walking through the trailer, heard people knocking on the trailer door. As a matter of fact, another guard mentioned he saw what appeared to be shadows of people walking around. And what are those called? What are they called? Those shadow people? And basically, that's what it is. Spirits, okay? And you can only see them at night time too. Now, the funny part is, I would see the shadow people and there'd be nothing to create a shadow. No kind of light to create a shadow, okay? But yet you would still see shadows running around in the dead of night. They seemed to be focused upon trying to get away from the crash site, is what it looked like, because they were all going away from it. It was like they were running away. And you would see on average probably about six or seven shadows over the course of an average night out there. Those of us that worked there as guards knew that we were out there to protect the things that belonged to the people on the crash. We were there to protect the people who were in the crash, in the manner of speaking, and that's how it felt to us. And we can't help but think that maybe, just maybe, the spirits from that flight, the ones that acted heroically, are trying to protect us as well. And every time we go into that trailer, they knock on the door to get our attention, to get us to go back out of the trailer. The people on Flight 93 who had to jump the terrace to get them to quit flying the plane towards Washington DC, just maybe they decided to use the trailer as like a prison for them terrorists. Because you get an uneasy feeling when you go into that trailer, whether you've been there before or not. Flight 93's apparitions have been seen and documented by a vast array of people. Renee Cluck was working as the weekend anchor for ABC 23 and Fox TV 8. She went down to the site in the early hours of the morning to interview the security guards about what they had seen and heard. While she didn't hear the knocking on the trailer door, she did hear footsteps walking up the metal stairs on the outside of the trailer. And when she checked, there was no one there. She caught the audio of the footsteps on her camera, which was on a tripod and running at the time. About 12 months after the crash, a paranormal investigation took place at the site. Understandably, they weren't granted access to the site, but they did capture photographs of white orbs gathering around a large wooded cross that had been set up as the temporary memorial. 
That memorial consisted of the aforementioned cross, benches, bearing the names of the victims and metal fencing for those visiting to leave mementos. That memorial was replaced in 2015 by the permanent memorial at the crash site. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the story of the souls that passed away on a beautiful morning in September 2001. Many of us will remember exactly where we were on that day, and you've probably noticed that it's been a bit of a struggle for me to record this. I know people in New York, I know people who lost people in the towers, and I suppose I wanted to do this so that there was a permanent record of some of these stories, because they're just so scattered across the internet. So I wanted to try and collect them in one place... Um, for prosperity. We're going to remember those people that lost their lives and we'll remember who they were and what we were doing as that news began to trickle in. Over 20 years later, and we live with devices which alert, alert us when such an event tragically happens again. And hopefully it will never, ever, ever happen again. This podcast is dedicated to the memory of those people who never got to go home on that day. The people who got up thinking they were going to work or to an event or to see friends or family and who never, ever got to go home. Thank you for listening. Until next time, stay safe.